Welcome to the Podcast Advertising Playbook, a show dedicated to podcast advertising. If you're a podcaster or an advertiser and you're wondering how you can take advantage of this rapidly growing space, you're in the right place. On the program, we'll discuss strategies and techniques to optimize your experience with podcast advertising. Hello, and welcome to the Podcast to Advertising Playbook. I'm your host, Heather Osgood. Thank you for joining me today. On the show today, we have Eric Smith with Incremental Media. Eric has a long history in the podcast industry, and he has recently joined Incremental Media, and I'm excited to have him on the show today. I really felt like because of his history in this space uh, and because of where he's at, he would be a great guest for us today. Welcome to the show, Eric. Thanks, Heather. Yeah. So can we start by just having you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your history and, and what has gotten you to your position currently with Incremental Media? Yeah, sure. Most recently, for about five years, I was at Vox Media, V-O-X. They own a, a handful of digital brands. Uh, actually, right when I was leaving, they acquired New York Magazine. So they've got New York Mag, SB Nation, Eater, Curbed, The Verge, a, a handful of kind of digital first brands. Uh, and I did a bunch of different roles there, but was working across really everything they do. So custom content, high impact units, and of course, podcasts. And now I've been in Incremental Media for a little over eight months. I started back in early March, which was certainly an, an interesting time to start a new company. But Incremental Media specializes in offline marketing channels, things like inserts, if you get a package and there's other offers in it, or uh, shared mail, think like Valpac or Clipper, if anybody listening lives in more of a suburban area. And then of course, podcast. So I lead the podcast team. I'm the director of podcast media buying. So I'm working with a, an array of clients, all really in the direct response space. We're, DR is, is all we do and all we've done for 15 years. And that's how we evaluate success for our clients. So everything is focused on DR. So one of the things that I think is so fascinating that I always like to talk to people about is podcast advertising online or offline. And so obviously incremental media being an offline company has established that podcasts are offline. So I'm curious, um, given your background, what is your perspective on podcast advertising? Do you feel like it really does fall in the offline category? And is there a reason why it might fall in that category? It's a good question. And a nuanced answer, I would say... It is offline in the sense that you don't have the same type of tracking that a Google or a Facebook or somebody else is going to have. There are new measurement companies out there that I'm actually a big fan of that help you evaluate it in a similar way. So offline marketing, I, I would certainly bucket it as offline marketing in the sense that you're, you have to think about it in the same way, like we think about inserts or think about shared mail, but there is a little bit, it's becoming more digital in a way that I'm actually excited about coming from more of a digital background because you can measure things in a more digital way and, and help people. The traditional way of measuring podcast success for, for anybody listening who doesn't know is you capture a promo code or a banner URL, and then you use the post-purchase survey to amplify uh, and, and figure out what the halo effect of podcasts was, which is fine, but it, it's certainly not the most scientific way of, of figuring out success. Like I said, some of those new digital measurement companies that, that we work with help evaluate podcasts in a way that digital marketers are, are more comfortable with and, and is just a little bit more precise. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Given the fact that you guys are so focused on offline, do you feel that I know, obviously, you've mentioned that these new companies that are providing us with a lot of attribution information, do you feel that it, it helps or does it change the approach that you might take from an overall kind of offline perspective? Not necessarily. I think if anything, what it does is it gives podcasts the credit that I think it deserves. I think a lot of times 
I feel like some of the the larger social networks that that you could probably think of are taking credit for other people's homework, that podcasts are driving the real meaningful action. Somebody visits a site and then they get retargeted by something else. And, and then that marketing channel gets the credit. So I think really podcasts are one of the few marketing channels that exists out there that actually can all in one ad take you from awareness. So I just learned about that brand to consideration. Oh, this host or this personality actually found a benefit from this product or service to, oh, I'm going to go actually buy that in a way that very few other marketing channels do. So if anything, I'm the reason why I'm so bullish on those technology and, and measurement platforms is because they help give podcasts the, the credit that, again, I, I think they rightfully deserve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. And I think that it is nice to be able to get some of that credit because I think a lot of times we in the podcast industry don't receive that. I'm curious, I know you walked through a time period and I totally agree with you. I think that podcast advertising can take you from being unaware of a product to being aware and then all the way through transaction. Given your experience, if somebody were listening um, to the show and they were like, gosh, I really want to get into podcast advertising, but I'm concerned because we're brand new to this space. How long do you, would you say that it typically takes a company to go from awareness to transaction with a podcast campaign? Is that something that happens in a matter of an ad or two or an impression or two? Or is it something you see that takes uh, many months? Yeah, it's a really highly debated thing, I think, in the industry broadly. When we think about podcasts in general, think if you think about it in terms of inserts or shared mail, like we insert one ad into one package probably once a month, maybe at most. So we're of the belief that you want to spread the wealth as much as you can, test as many shows as possible, and do it at as low of a frequency as possible. Like some shows have certain minimums, and again, rightfully so, they if they warrant that, it's because they're a show that's that demand. But we're of the belief that you can spread the wealth in that sense. And then to more kind of directly address your question, it's pretty clear pretty quickly which shows are the ones that are going to resonate with your audience and which shows aren't. We have certain shows that it doesn't matter what product we put on there. It just works immediately and they just have a really responsive audience. And some, they they take a little bit longer to ramp up. So I would say most of the time, it's pretty clear after one ad within a week or two, you're not going to have all of your sales for sure. The podcasts have a, a really long uh, tail in that sense, but you will have a good idea of if a show is working or not and which shows to double down on and which to potentially move away from within, I would say, a week or two of, of your ad dropping. Mm -hmm. I would say you're definitely not the first person that I have heard say that there are some podcasts that just work really well. What, in your opinion, constitutes a podcast that does work really well? What are those, what do those maybe shows have or those hosts have that just continue to deliver results for advertisers? Maybe even if they're not even in the same, you know, categories, but they just perform well. What do you see there? Yeah, it's we have something we use called an influence score. We have our own way of, of figuring out the impact of an individual host or a show. But for us, there's this unique middle ground from at least like a show size standpoint. So we don't go on shows that are, are really small just because they're really hard to scale. If we get a show to work, it costs $100 a spot. It's not a, a great way for anybody to use their media dollars to, to try and scale it. But at the same time, especially if you're a direct response client, like the vast majority of ours are, if it's a really big show, it's sometimes really hard to make work unless we get more efficient pricing. So there's this middle ground that let's call it 
25,000 to 200,000 downloads that typically are, are the strongest performing. But then on top of that, we'll look at things like the, the host social following, or we use some competitive intelligence tools to understand the performance of shows if we haven't been on the show already and, and have our own data and understanding on it. Sometimes it's also as, as simple and unscientific as just listening to the ads. And if the host you can hear right away if they're just reading the talking points or if they're engaging their co-host or if they're doing something unique or if they've quite frankly, especially if we've sent them a sample, actually tried the product, experienced the benefits. I, I can think of a, a client that we work with who's like an anti-nausea device. It's got this really slick looking band, a uh, couple hundred dollar product. And when we vetted shows for them, we actually went to hosts and, and podcast networks to say, hey, do any of you deal with nausea or motion sickness or car sickness or all that kind of stuff? And we found hosts who actually dealt with that. And then as a result of, of finding those hosts, when they did the ads, you could really hear the difference versus someone who just read an ad for a product that they were given the ad read for. When someone was like, wow, I deal with car sickness all the time. I always drive up to Big Bear for vacation. This thing has changed my life. Like that is, you can totally hear the difference in the quality of the ad versus somebody who's sticking to a really specific script and just their enthusiasm for it as is not quite as strong. So it's not the most scientific thing to say, but at the end of the day, it is just listening to, to ads of hosts and, and figuring out which ones are the most genuine and, and enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things you said is really interesting, which I have podcasts in particular ask me about all the time is what is the right size? I think a lot of times podcasters think, oh, the more downloads I have, the better. But I have found as we have you know, begun at True Native Media to deal with bigger and bigger podcasts that there is a threshold where when you get too large, it can be difficult for advertisers to see a return because when you're paying, let's say $20,000 $20, for a spot, you're going to have to sell a lot a product in order to really get a return on your investment. Now, obviously you're reaching a much larger audience. As you mentioned, if you've got a smaller show, you really can't scale with that. So bigger shows can, we can scale with those, but there does seem to be a threshold where if you get too big, unless you're really, I think, uber famous, <laughs> you can struggle a little bit if your show is really large, but maybe you don't personally have a lot of influence. So do you find that to be the case when you get over, you know, 200,000 downloads, let's say per episode, do you find that it can be more difficult to get a return on your investment? Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, there's always exceptions to the rule of some sure. folks that truly do have the influence, but generally speaking, yes, I, I think there is a rough cutoff of posts that unless they are really, you know, influential, it's just it, marketing at the end of the day is a math game. We're trying to, especially in the direct response space, people want to know that they're, they're getting a return. And that's why we do a lot of things we do to make sure they have a clear understanding of performance. But just from a pure show standpoint, it just gets hard. You got to sell a lot of individual products to, or services, whatever you're selling to make it work. And some Marketers are a little bit more nuanced and they'll be more comfortable with a lower return knowing that, for example, if they're in Whole Foods or they're in a bunch of different retailers, that there's some kind of halo effect as a result of that. But generally speaking, yeah, there's this middle ground that at least when you're thinking about batting a higher percentage, more percentage of those shows tend to work than if you're really small or if you're really big. 
Mm -hmm. And do you find, is there a certain maybe either price point or like lifetime value of a customer that makes podcast more doable? And I know I always think back, I had a conversation, gosh, it's probably been about a year and a half ago now with an earphone company. And this gentleman made earphones um, or headphones, I should say, not earphones, headphones (laughs) um, for people to sleep in. So they were flat. And I said, what is the lifetime value of your customer? And he's most people just buy one $15 pair of headphones and then they're they're gone. And I was like, okay, I don't think podcast advertising is a good fit for you because I think you're going to have a really hard time getting a return on your investment. What is your perspective on that? Yeah, that's absolutely right. I would even say that for not just podcasts, but for the other channels I mentioned before, like inserts and shared mail, typically you want to be like a hundred dollar plus product, or at least if you're a subscription product that has more of a longer lifetime value to it. That's typically what we see work well. We have clients that are an air purifier and a water purifier that are a couple hundred dollars. So those work really well. Cause again, it just comes back to that math game I was talking about before you have to drive less volume. And especially if you're trying to reach more of a kind of niche audience that not everyone is going to pony up the money for a, a more expensive product. Podcasts tend to be more affluent. They tend to be more educated. So there's certain types of products that we just approach certain prospective clients or current clients with and say, you'd be really good for podcasts because it costs X amount to buy your product or service. At 1995, like I said, even for those other channels, I think you nailed it. You got to sell a lot of, of those products. And especially if they haven't maxed out social or search that are a little bit cheaper, at least from a CPM standpoint, for the most part, we always recommend going there first. And then once you want to diversify and get out of, of those kind of lower funnel, super, super lower funnel channels, that's what you know we're here for is, is to help with that. Mm-hmm. So I feel when I talk to potential advertisers, a lot of the companies I talk to say, we have been investing everything in social and paid search and either maybe they're not seeing the return that they used to see or a lot of times especially if we get like a new uh, person that's got a new com- position at a company that they're like hey they're putting all of their eggs in these like handful of baskets i think we should diversify obviously that's where you and your company come in but when we look at diversification how important do you think it is for companies and marketers to diversify their spending? I think it depends on the client. Like some people, like we just talked about, they I think they just aren't right for podcasts or they aren't right for certain channels. And we don't want to use anybody's time or resources to, to do something that doesn't make sense for them. But to more like address the, directly address your question, there's just like a certain point where I think most companies can feel it if you're a savvy marketer and a client like we're just way too focused on these two places. And you can start to see that like diminishing returns, whether all of a sudden the CPM skyrocket in a certain channel, or I was reading a a study recently from a company called Claritas that talked about when you add podcasts to your media mix, you typically see a 34% increase in conversions for other channels, meaning like a rising tide lifts all boats type of mentality. But when you, you know, add display or you add TV, typically there's only like a one to 3% increase. So they're not really driving new people. A lot of times in some of those channels, they're just driving the same people who happen to be coming from a different place. So why we've specifically focused on certain channels and specifically avoided other ones was one, I think a lot of clients can quite frankly do, you know, something like a Facebook or a Google in-house. And then two is that these channels tend to be a little bit more nuanced. You need more of a subject matter expert uh, to certainly get you off the ground, but definitely to scale you as well in them. So there's this 
sort of balance. And I think a savvy marketer knows when they're too heavily invested in a certain place and need to start thinking about that stuff, which is again, why we've positioned our company to be specifically helping them when they feel like they're at that moment. And I think a lot of marketers these days are feeling that way. Like they've, especially if you're a new D2C brand and you always go to the Facebook and Google or some combination of those kind of companies first, you can only ring that towel for so long before you got to go to a new place to, to find customers. Long-winded answer to your question, but but yeah, I think at the end of the day, social is, is certainly important. We would never say turn that off to go do podcasts or something like that, but we do think that podcasts and some of the other channels we operate in drive new customers, not just other customers that would have came in through the other channels anyways. And why do you think that podcasts really referencing that study from Claritas, why do you think that podcasts have such an impact whereas other channels don't? Is it because people listening to podcasts, I always wonder, obviously everyone has different media consumption patterns. And I I think a lot of times podcasters a lot of them listen to podcasts, right? Not that they, of course, don't do other things because everybody does other things, but diehard mm-hmm. podcast listeners spend a lot of time listening to podcasts. So do you think it's that they're just maybe not in those other medias as often? And that's why there's such a big increase there? I think that honestly, a big reason why I wanted to work in podcasts was just because it was one of the only marketing channels that I felt actually impacted me personally. Like I listened to podcast ads and thought, wow, that was a cool company. Like I'm going to go check them out and then ended up buying something from them. And I've had a lot of friends tell me the same thing. I don't really can't think of an example where someone was like, oh, I saw a 300 by 250 banner. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you know, convinced <laughs> got to go so excited. Uh, or even though they like TV ads too, I felt like podcasts made an impact in a way that other advertising don't. And again, it goes back to the the kind of embedded, host-read, endorsed, authentic way that podcasts deliver advertising. And again, not every podcast, I'm not like every podcast that I hear, I'm going to go run and buy something. But when done correctly, I felt like it actually made a difference. So that was a big reason why I was at first a podcast consumer and then wanted to actually work in that industry because I felt really passionately that the channel actually does impact people in a way that other marketing channels don't. And again, that's not the most scientific answer, but at the end of the day, like, I think you can just feel it, right? You can feel when an ad actually persuades you and impacts you versus I DVR most things and skip through TV ads anyways. So I I just think there's a difference in the quality of the ads and podcasts versus, you know, some other kind of similar channels. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think it's so funny because so often when we watch TV at our house, we do, we DVR, we watch like Netflix or something. And so it's always strange when we're in a situation where we watch all these TV ads and we're like, my goodness, what are all these TV ads? You just get so accustomed to not receiving them. And I think that is where the value of podcasts come in is that host red endorsement ad, which I think really leads me um, to the question of, as you are seeing kind of the landscape and the industry unfold, I think we always have to address on this show and in all of our conversations where the industry is headed because it is moving so quickly and, and making so many strides ahead. And we're in such an interesting place because we've had holes in the industry, right? We've had holes with metrics and not being able to provide a lot of digital advertisers in particular with what they feel they need to justify podcast advertising. On the same side, though, we see the strength of the host red ad. And one of the concerns that I have is that as we have companies like Spotify moving into the space, and as we look at maybe more streaming ads or programmatic ad buying that happens, 
we're going to get away from that host red ad. And I, I always like to look back at radio and, and see the evolution of radio. And I always am worried that we're going to get to a place where all the host red ads are going to be gone because it's so much easier just to run these pre-recorded ads as a podcast, as a podcast host, you have so little work to do. If somebody's just plugging an ad into your show from an experience perspective though, and from an effectiveness perspective, host read ads are so much better. I'm curious what your thought is about that. Yeah, I think True Native is a well-named company and that you guys are doing advertising, I, I think, in podcasts in the right way. I think the, the Spotify's of the world that have moved into to podcasting and I think done a lot of good things for podcasting to, to be clear, but I, I think some of the advertising in Spotify specific shows, when you hear it, it does not feel nearly as native and embedded as other podcasts do in other platforms. So I do get a little bit concerned, especially when I hear big brand X, I don't want to name any names, you hear a big brand and they just took their radio spot and, and ran it on podcasts. That really makes my, my blood boil because quite frankly, it brings the whole channel down. It's going to cause people to skip ads and want to not pay attention to the advertising when the quality of the ads goes down. So I think smart hosts understand the value of that. And quite frankly, that may be the, the easy money, so to speak, in the industry to, to work with a big Fortune 500 brand. But at the end of the day, I, I get a little bit concerned when someone just tries to force fit their radio spot into the podcast channel. At the same time, for any brand, I, I think podcasts, I, someone told me this once and I, I, it really resonated with me that podcasts are where the, the cool brands hang out. And that really resonated with me in the sense that's where I learned a lot of uh, the brands that I'm interested in. My wife makes, makes fun of me that I'm a, a walking direct to consumer ad with all the, the clothes that I wear. But anyways, I do think podcasts are good in that they help you learn about something new about the major insurance company that spends $50 million a year on TV. You don't need to hear their ads and podcasts. So I think if they play by the rules and do it with a host read and maybe do it in a genuine and, and unique way, I'm not necessarily against it, but I would tell any brand, not just any big company to, to really think about if podcasts are right for them. And if they have some kind of unique story or identifier or something that a host can get behind, because if you're just big brand X, I don't know if the hosts are going to give you the genuine, authentic read. And, and again, it, for me, I really don't like that because it brings the whole channel, in my opinion, down. Yeah. And I think it's so important for hosts to think about the success that their advertisers have and also what the listening experience is. And I definitely find in my conversation with podcasters that most hosts are very conscientious. They have spent yeah, a lot of time investing and in growing their audience and they don't want to turn listeners off by giving them all of these pre-recorded ads. But I think that it's this fine line and that we have to realize that if marketers um, and, and advertisers aren't seeing success in this space, that number one, the rates are gonna plummet. And number mm -hmm. two, it's not gonna differentiate us. And right now, the power of podcast advertising is that we are so much different. And even to your point, like how you mentioned wanting to come to podcast advertising because it felt interesting. And I remember when I, before I founded True Native Media, look, listening to ads and looking at the industry and thinking, gosh, where's the opportunity here? Because it did feel so unique and it is unique. 
And I always just really want to encourage people to hang on to that uniqueness and not to say that we don't want big companies to come in. And we do want the power of the growth of the industry. But I just think it's so important for us to do that in a wise way. And part of that is really continuing to embrace the host red ad. And my hope is that even if we do get to a place where we do have more streaming or more pre-recorded ads in the space, that we'll still always have those host red ads. So Mm-hmm. Fingers crossed that'll be the case. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think the, the there's nothing wrong with, to, to be clear, like if a big brand mm-hmm. wants to get involved. For sure. In space, I think, again, they tend to do more brand awareness campaigns. Sometimes the CPMs tend to be a, a little bit um, stronger than some of the, the DR guys are comfortable with. And that's good for the industry. That's good for the podcaster, right? They'll make more money and, and that's always a great thing. But again, as long as they play by the podcast rules and do ad reads the right way, I, I hope that will at least keep the listener engaged. And you even just quickly brought something up before about frequency in radio versus podcasts. Like in radio or in TV, you might see seven or eight ads in a row. In podcasts, if you heard two or three ads in a row, that would be a lot. So I think people need to maintain that as well, or else it's going to become too radio (laughs) with Mm -hmm. a a better term. Um, And people won't be as, you know, engaged with the ads as they are with the content. So it's always that delicate balance. Absolutely. I totally agree. One of the things that I really wanted to talk to you about was how do we as marketers or how do brands do a good job of integrating podcast advertising into their marketing mix? Because I find sometimes people, it's almost like they see podcasts and they're like, gosh, something's going on over in that podcast ad space. I should probably try it out. I'm just going to run a few ads and see what happens. But it doesn't necessarily feel like they're really committing. And granted, you're not going to throw your entire budget into an untested channel. You need to test the channel. You need to test the podcast, make sure it's going to work. But how would you recommend that people integrate podcast advertising into their overall mix or their overall strategy? Yeah, so there's a, a a lot to unpack there, but I'll say from a podcast standpoint, like some people will say, oh, you got to spend six figures on a test. So you're not really going to feel the impact of the channel. So you'll certainly feel more of an impact if you start at a higher number, but especially in the direct response space, people aren't going to typically start at that high of a budget. So they want to test in the 25 to 50K range, see how podcasts work and then expand out from there. So I think people can get a good feel for the industry at a budget like that. And I think there's a a huge issue with people either choosing shows that they are personally fans of or shows that they think their brand makes sense on. But even compared to two, three years ago, podcasts has a lot more audience information than they used to. Even just people polling their audience to find out who their listeners are and things like that. I would, the planning process for podcasts, honestly, it's the most time consuming channel we we handle for clients. It's more manual than basically any channel I know that exists, but it's getting better in that regard. <laughs> but I do think that podcasts are in a way you need to kind of test in a wide range of categories, test in the most intelligent way. If you're a a female brand that reaches women in their 30s, you should try health shows. You should try true crime shows. You should try a bunch of different categories and say, where is my audience potentially across all these different show genres? And also find hosts that are maybe a, a little bit different, still within that core audience that you're looking to reach. But I think sometimes people are surprised. Oh, I thought my audience was really that type of person on podcasts, but really it ends up being this person. The podcasts are just so unique that it's really hard to just say, oh, what I'm doing over in this other channel has got to be the same thing that I should be doing in podcasts. It takes a lot of 
kind of time and patience to test across the widest range of shows and categories to be able to ultimately figure out how to double down and, and expand on what works and obviously fade away from something that doesn't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. One of the things that you mentioned earlier that I think is so important to look at is identifying the right podcast. And you also mentioned, which I don't disagree with, that podcasts can be one of the most manual and challenging mm-hmm. mediums to tackle. If someone is considering getting into podcast advertising, uh, I like to recommend a few different ways to go about getting into podcast advertising. Obviously, your company provides that service as well. So I'm curious, when do you think a company should choose to go with an agency or just try to do podcast ad buying on the, on their own? Yeah, I think going back to the like big company versus medium to small company mm-hmm. discussion, like most medium companies, medium sized companies are going to not have the time and effort and resources to be able to do podcasts correctly. If you're a really big company and you've got a hundred person marketing team, there's probably a team in there that can handle the channel for you. But if you're in that kind of middle spot of you're a 25 person company to maybe even a couple thousand employees, like you just, you need someone who's a subject matter expert, not to be self-promotional, but I think you need someone who is really experienced in the channel, knows how to properly evaluate it, properly measure it, has probably competitive intelligence and things on what shows work and what shows don't. I think a lot of people will try to do podcasts themselves and just choose a, a, an assortment of shows that they think make sense. But without that kind of you know deep history and data and understanding of what shows are really responsive, you might pick a few of the wrong shows and then, oh, that's a failed channel. And all of a sudden you lost the opportunity there. Even one or two minor mistakes make the difference between a successful campaign and a not successful one. Again, I I think that's why people come to to places like Incremental Media and and other folks in the space, because we do really know the hosts. We get on calls with them. We have relationships that are different than someone just trying to get in the space and, and start from square one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that it's so valuable. And it is, it's very time consuming to try and identify the right shows that are going to work for you. So having someone like yourself and your team on their side, I think is really valuable. I really appreciate you being on this show, Eric, if people are listening, and they would like to find out more information about yourself, or maybe just talk to somebody at your company about podcast advertising, where can they find you? Yeah, sure. You could just go to incrementalmedia.com and we have a little contact page, or you can email me directly, esmith at incrementalmedia.com, or even go on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, but it's sometimes hard to find Eric Smith. There's a lot of Eric Smiths out there. So <laughs> um, esmith at incrementalmedia.com will probably be the easiest way to directly make sure you're contacting me. But yeah, that would be what I would recommend. And yeah, totally appreciate the time, Heather. And, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you. It's been great chatting. And thank you for listening to the show. If you're interested in finding out more about podcast advertising, of course, hit up Eric's company. If you'd like to reach out to us at True Native Media, we can also be of service. So thanks so much um, for listening to the show and have a great day. If you want to learn more about how to be a market leader in podcast advertising, reach out to us at truenativemedia.com.